Welcome to GenCast, a sponsored podcast series brought to you by Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News. I'm your host, Jeff Bukaliskis. Roger Crawford, dubbed one of the most accomplished physically challenged athletes in the world by Sports Illustrated, famously stated that being challenged in life is inevitable. Being defeated is optional. This is a dilemma that scientists face frequently from an intellectual standpoint as their research will throw up obstacles that can often seem insurmountable. Yet, successful researchers know how to stay resolute and where they can turn to for help. As we've heard in previous podcasts, the AmLab Collaboration Centers were designed to assist researchers in finding solutions to their most common and inevitable pharmaceutical manufacturing challenges. One research area that has seen its share of challenges in recent years has been the development of new cell and gene therapies. While the treatment potential for these novel drug regimens has become readily apparent in recent years, increased manufacturing demands by the biopharma industry have forced scientists to seek out innovative ways to keep pace. Let's hear how the MLab Collaboration Centers are assisting these endeavors. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of this multi-part Gen Podcast series. I'm joined today with a group of industry experts to discuss some of the challenges and highlights associated with developing cell and gene therapy products. Let's meet our panel for today's discussion. We'd all just go around the room and everyone introduce themselves and tell us where you're from. Hi, I'm Jerry Keeble. I head up the Cell and Gene Therapy Manufacturing Franchise. Uh, I'm based in Bedford, Massachusetts. I have responsibility for products and services that are used in the manufacture of Cell and Gene Therapy. Hello, uh, my name is Ranjit Patil. I head up the Vaccines and Viral Therapy segment in Process Solutions business. My responsibility lies with portfolio management of uh, products and services to support large-scale manufacturing of viruses. My name is Stephanie Ferrante. I'm the Associate Director of Technology Management, and I lead a team of technology managers that support our customers with sterile filtration and virus removal filtration technologies. And hi, everyone. My name is Mike Farbush. I am a single-use field marketing specialist uh, supporting all of the Americas, and I work out of Burlington, Massachusetts. Thanks, everyone. Welcome, and thank you for joining. Let's begin our conversation and dive right into the first question for our panel. According to a report published by the Economist Intelligence Unit, 48% of biopharma executives are considering or already developing novel therapies, with gene therapies being the second most disruptive to company strategy after stem cell-derived therapies. What is your reaction to this data? You know, to be honest, I'm a bit surprised that gene therapies are only the second most disruptive class. The speed that this market is, is changing is incredibly fast. Things that we might have thought just a couple of years ago have been completely upended in the marketplace this in the last year. I wouldn't be surprised that if we ask people today that same question, that they might have a different answer for gene therapies first. Uh, particularly with some of the commercial launches of products over the last year, for example, Sparks Lexterna, which is a, a gene therapy product. The industry is in the midst of a large change. I think a few decades ago, monoclonal antibodies would have had a similar impact on people's strategies if they were coming from a small molecule world. And I think we're just kind of seeing that same wave happen again. I'm sure through the kind of the course of our conversation today, we'll kind of uncover a couple of these different areas where strategies do need to be different to address gene therapy. But I'm very much looking forward to the rest of the conversation. Well, I do not believe the lack of funding is a barrier for gene therapy manufacturers anymore. 
it could be a barrier if you are not in gene therapy at this point, but very much the gene therapy is being seen as a diversification strategy for a lot of these manufacturers. Coming back to the first comment about the regulations, I think that was true about a couple of years ago, but recently FDA released their first draft guidance or rather revised draft guidance for gene therapy that brings more clarity to customers' path commercialization. There is still some work to be done around clarity, chemistry, manufacturing, and control. But overall, I think we are moving in the right direction as far as regulatory support and guidance goes for gene therapy. Commissioner Gottlieb uh, had spoken over the summer about some of the, the challenges from the regulatory standpoint. And he really made the point that historically, when the FDA took a look at a new treatment, they spent 80% of their time trying to determine if the efficacy and whether or not it's better than other options in the, in the marketplace, and 20% on manufacturing. But actually today, for these gene therapies, it's the reverse. The FDA is spending 80% of their time on making sure that the, the manufacturing processes are in control and reproducible because the efficacy is actually so clear. And this is the reason that the FDA is so excited, the reason we're so excited, the reason innovators are so excited about this field. Absolutely, Jerry. And one of the things to keep in mind about gene therapies, to build on what Jerry said earlier about efficacy, that need for improved efficacy really is now translating into need for speed. Because at this point, it's not such a big uncertainty whether your molecule is going to succeed or not. In many of these cases, you see these promising results upfront. In fact, some of these recent therapies which were approved, like Chimera and Luxterna, they were really approved in a very small set of patient population in the clinical trial. So in the context of these successes, people are really looking at these therapies as a challenge in development and a CMC strategy versus challenge in the clinical trials. I think that's why you see this need for speed. It's more about getting there first in a lot of these therapies since they are trying targeting these rare diseases and indications where if you are not first, the entire patient population might disappear with the first gene therapy that comes to the market because that's how effective they are. Continuing with that line of questioning, apart from regulatory uncertainty and the potential funding issues, what are the specific process challenges gene therapy customers are facing? So I spend a lot of time working directly with our customers in our MLab collaboration centers in Burlington. And as we've already hinted at, I think that moving from process development into manufacturing can be a huge roadblock for our customers, especially these customers that are in these really new and innovative fields where there may not be a foolproof way to make this leap. So one of the benefits, I believe, for our cell and gene therapy customers is that our MLab allows them to easily visualize the future scalability of their process. So we can walk them into the upstream and the process development labs where they can see a functioning three-liter bioreactor process. It includes all the equipment required to conduct that actual grow and harvest step, you know, right in our own labs. It's a really cool setup for everyone to be a part of. Then we can very easily step across the hallway and take them through the scaling of this benchtop work and start to more closely mimic their manufacturing process flows. So right on the floor, we have that 50-liter single-use bioreactor, 200-single-use bioreactor, and maybe well beyond their processing scale, also 1,000 and 2,000-liter single-use bioreactor. So 
it may be larger scales than what some of these specific customers are looking for, but it really gives them the opportunity to understand their future growth and allow them to use that equipment themselves before making any sort of decision. To add on to that, Michael, one of the things we've done here is we brought many of our customers working in gene therapy into our facility to ask them what their challenges are. And from that, by listening to what their challenges are, we've been able to take that back into our R&D teams as well as to our engineers to try and come up with solutions to help our gene therapy customers optimize the process. You know, as Jerry mentioned earlier, there is no blueprint to manufacture these gene therapies like there is for a MAP process. Our customers, they don't have time to figure out how to optimize these processes, and they are trying to produce as high virus titers as they can to meet the demand for these therapies. Most of the challenges are around yield and yield loss during various steps, just starting with scaling up an adherent cell suspension. Being able to scale that up has been a challenge. And then there are more challenges when it comes to the clarification of the cells. And then finally, even at the end, when they're trying to sterile filter these products before they're released to the market, trying to ensure that they're not losing a lot of their product in the membrane are all challenges that our customers are dealing with. And I want to make sure we kind of leave listeners with the idea that these are all challenges that we are actively working on, right? There's absolutely a need to move away from adherent cell cultures for the production of virus. It's a, it's a critical scaling step to kind of meet the patient yeah. population needs of our of our manufacturing. And then in the individual downstream steps, I mean, we as well as our customers recognize the losses that we're seeing here. And, and you know, we're always looking for ways to improve the performance of these individual unit operations, which can actually have really material impact on the overall yield of the process. Once again, which goes directly to patient access and to, to the cost of therapy. And the way we are trying to address these questions is really to a collaborative manner. And this is something that we have been very active with outside of gene therapy as well. And we are trying to replicate the same approach for the challenges in gene therapy. So the event that Stephanie mentioned earlier, we really organized this uh, conference of failures, if you will. and. We really wanted to understand what is it that does not work so that we can identify the toughest problems that we can go after. And based on those conversations, we really have identified a few areas which are pivotal in making some of the gene therapies successful and taking them faster to the next clinical stage and eventually to the market. To name some of them, you have our programs in cell line development and cell media development where we are trying to use our expertise in cell engineering and stream optimization to improve upon state of the art for gene therapy production. And downstream, we are uh, really trying to leverage our deep expertise to address problems on yield losses, address problems on impurity clearance, and addressing the issues with patient safety that can arise with lack of proper sterilizing filtration techniques. To kind of follow up on a lot of this, it may sound a little insignificant at first, but all of these challenges that we're naming, you know, it's very similar to some of their adjacent markets, are made even harder by the restrictions of GMP and the environments required to meet these standards. So in these new markets, the trial and error 
methods really become incredibly costly and complicated. Now, I think all of us here would agree that the reason the MLab Collaboration Center exists is so that our customers can get the hands-on experience with the tools that really drive these therapies forward. Uh, but what's so great about that is that it's a non-GMP environment that mimics GMP processes. So all of these tools and equipment that the gene therapy customer would need to function are here, but we can easily go in and out of that lab, bring entire teams in for training, move things around, build prototypes, and really just get dirty learning the ideal way to solve these new problems. That leads me into my next question, since you guys are talking about the MLab, you know, what kind of work do you see the MLab Collaboration Centers doing to address the challenges and anticipate future challenges in gene therapy space? So it may not directly answer this question, but having, you know, bioreactors, these mixers, clarification skids, all of the sterile filters, columns, everything that's in there is an unbeatable resource for our customers, you know, as we've kind of discussed already. But it also is really useful for our own internal technical teams. For a specific example, we will be bringing in all of our North American account managers into this MLab for some hands-on demo sessions. So the ability for us to translate our capabilities in this space from the scientists that are in the MLab every day into that field-based teams really builds those experts that we expect. And so having them delivering these messages and these best practices to these cell and gene therapy companies is really helping us learn more from them and helping them learn more from us. So it's a great two-way road. Given the global nature of gene and cell therapy field, how are you addressing the challenges that customers are facing in various regions around the world? I think, you know, one of the great things about having a network of experts and frankly, a network of MLabs around the world is that as soon as we advance science and advance our understanding of these applications, we're able to roll it out globally. So something that happens, for example, at the MLab in Burlington is, would then be immediately available to the MLab in, in Singapore. We're very much a global business, and we really want to make sure that whatever technologies and solutions we have are available to the global scientific community. That's a really great point that this global presence of MLabs is a great resource. and just to point out that these MLab collaboration centers are specifically built in what we believe to be the life science hubs around the world. So Molsheim, France, uh, Tokyo, Japan, Shanghai, China, India, Sao Paulo, Brazil, uh, there's really thought put into these locations and we try to make it as easy as possible for these cell and gene therapy customers to come into our actual sites and exchange these ideas and resources with us and so far, we've had a great success in sharing across all of these different sites. It works very well. One final question. How are you guys partnering to solve many of your customers' gene therapy challenges? So one of the things we did recently was we hosted a conference where we brought in many of our customers to our facility here in Massachusetts to really listen to their challenges. And we asked them, you know, what challenges are they facing with process development, with their upstream process, with their downstream process, what kind of testing hurdles are they having, as well as what kind of non-technical problems are they having. And we really just listened to what they had to say. And many of these challenges had to do with yield loss at different steps, um, the challenge of developing 
better assays, faster assays to measure efficacy, the importance of security of supply, you know, as we mentioned earlier in the podcast, you know, our customers, they are trying to get these products to market quickly. They need to be partnered with a supplier that can ensure they can get the raw materials that they need in a, in a timely way. We really are kind of capitalizing on those learnings from this particular event and other interactions and engagements that we are having with this clean therapy ecosystem. So really we are focused on some of these main challenges. So starting with these inherent process inefficiencies that a lot of the gene therapy processes have. A big part of that is there are no purpose-built tools that are designed for gene therapy production. A lot of what is being used right now is borrowed from things like MAB and other biopharmaceutical production processes. So partnering with customers to address these inefficiencies in upstream where we are trying to improve titers and simplify production process, simplify a cell culture process, switching from adherent into suspension cell culture to improve scalability and predictability of these scale-ups. On the downstream, it's all about yield. And that could be different for different types of gene therapies, given what your end goal is. Removing impurities from these feed streams remains a big challenge, and we are looking into our creative strategies to address those concerns with either purpose-built devices or having improved strategies with the existing devices. And finally, addressing these safety concerns, which have been a big question mark ever since the uh, existence of gene therapies. And part of that is having a robust biosafety strategy in place and providing the guidance for these customers through our regulatory expertise and also designing products that can be used to prevent adventitious agent contamination and facilitate a sterilization of liquids. A lot of what we've been speaking about is from the standpoint of a product company. We're offering products to enable our customers to manufacture. We're also a services company. Through our bioreliance, viral and therapy manufacturing services and testing services, the ability to help customers if they don't necessarily want to be the ones to manufacture their viral gene therapy products themselves. So we partner with them from everything from process development through clinical manufacturing all the way through commercial manufacturing through our facility in Carlsbad, California. And, and testing facilities in Rockville, Maryland, and Glasgow, Scotland. So there's there's a lot of different ways that we can meet customers where they are. And I think that's really important in the, kind of our approach to solving our customers' problems. They come to us and we listen humbly, and they, and they tell us what they need, and then we figure out how we can best help them. Great. Thanks, guys. That's all the questions that I have. So I'd like to thank the panel for participating in this very invaluable discussion, and we hope you'll join us for our next upcoming episode in this podcast series. Thanks for listening to GenCast. For genetic engineering and biotechnology news, I'm Jeff Deliscus.